High end over end variety. And Amati from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, welcome back. We are back in the RG Podcast Studios, getting ready for number thirteen Oregon against Cal. Steve, uh, what do you think about this game now that we've been through uh, practices all week and, and just getting ready for the Ducks to play for the first time since the Stanford game? I thought the. Uh the first thing I noticed was I think we were looking at the betting lines. Those looked a little high to me. I, this has all the feel of a 20-6 to six type game to me. You know, I think Oregon's favored by about 16 or 17. That seems a little high. And, boy, the over-under, which was in the 40s, surprised me. Like I say, I, I just have a hard time seeing Cal scoring a lot. I think Cal's going to try to muddy it up, ugly it up a little bit, try to, you know, three, car, three yards in a cloud of dust, keep moving the ball, you know, kind of run some clock down, try to get possession and possession and – keep Oregon's offense off the field and see if they can kind of put together some time consuming drives I think Oregon comes out probably tries to you know tries to run it as well kind of establish themselves running but you know that that'll be a tough a tough task with what Cal's got in their secondary could make it tough on on Oregon to pass I, I got to think that Oregon comes out throwing tries to get a couple scores early I, th- I think if you can separate yourself early if this thing's 14 nothing after the first quarter I just have a hard time seeing Cal having any kind of a chance to you know kind of overcome an early deficit like that the open date certainly has helped Oregon from uh, a health s- situation. You know, obviously they were on their couches watching Cal as Chase Garbers suffers, you know, a shoulder injury, maybe a clavicle. Justin Wilcox wouldn't say exactly what's wrong with him, but he's out indefinitely. Uh, Devin Modster now will be the starter for Cal, former UCLA quarterback. On the other side, Oregon's getting back Brennan Schooler, Micah Pittman, Cyrus Habibi Lico. Um, Jawan Johnson, probably not, but they're still not giving up on him. So health-wise, as far as starting players, Oregon's in good position. Um, So they have that advantage, too, in addition to the home field advantage. Yeah, you know, if Garbers doesn't get hurt, you make the case Cal wins that game. Cal's coming in here 5-0, probably ranked 4. I mean, this could be number 13 versus number 14 in the country type deal. I mean, that just... You know, Garber's obviously a guy who last year wasn't great, but really been playing a little bit better and seemed to kind of have – he was running the offense. He had control of – you know, they, they don't ask somebody to come in there and, and, and run Sonny Dyke's offense anymore. They're asking somebody to come in and kind of manage it, and he was doing that well. Modster's interesting. Um, you know, Oregon players and coaches were saying they actually looked back and, and watched him when he played at UCLA a couple of years ago. He had a big game where he played actually a win against Cal. Um and so Oregon talked about since basically they've only got a half of football to watch from him this year that they've gone back and watched some of that. And so, you know, I, I do think that, you know, you always think, well, I can spring a few surprises with a new quarterback, but it just seems like kind of with what they normally do and the fact that Modster was behind Garbers on the bench, I don't think they feel like they're going to come out here and suddenly have a guy who can, you know, throw a whole bunch of wrinkles into it. I expect Cal to keep doing what they do, which like I say is try to run some clock, try to get these first downs, you know, 10 yards at a time and keep Oregon off and see if you can get, you know, if you can get – 10-7 at the half, your, your head going into the lead, you feel pretty good coming out that maybe this game's going at your pace. How do you see Oregon's offense fitting these new guys in with the guys who have been there since the Auburn game, you know, and that includes like a Brian Addison, um, you know, relying heavily on Jacob Breeland. Now you have Schooler and Pittman joining in there with Red and Johnny Johnson. 
a good problem to have. All of a sudden they have, you know, a bunch of guys that need the ball. Yeah, I think that it's not that hard to fit them in because of the fact that they really only used four regular receivers this year. They've got, you know, Johnson and Red have been the main guys, and then Brian Addison's been there as a starter and Josh Delgado in some use. But, you know, the other guys at receiver that have gotten, you know, the ball were, you know, David Davis, a converted DB, and Spencer Webb, a converted tight end. I think, you know, Davis probably falls down a little bit the depth chart and maybe goes back to, to defense. I think Spencer Webb, you still get some packages for him in the slot and things like that, but he kind of can function back towards that tight end. I, I think you bring in Pittman, and it's kind of what you expect in the of the year. He's the guy who's kind of right behind Red. They talked about how many plays Red had to you know stay on the field for this year, and now they can give him a blow with Pittman in there. But I also think with the, you know his first college game and now kind of nursing a sore shoulder, I don't think you're going to send him in. You know, I would expect a pretty limited play sheet for, for the game, for the one Pittman's in there. Schooler's different. I think Schooler, they feel like he's been through it. It's a foot deal. You know, as long as he feels good, they'll kind of ride him as much as they can. I I do think you probably still start Johnson. I mean, when Schooler got hurt, Johnson was ahead of him on the depth chart. I still think this thing's Johnson. You know, now maybe you can move Schooler on the other side with Addison or switch Addison around there. And, uh, you know, obviously when, when Juwan Johnson comes back, then that maybe even alters things more. But I don't think it's a massive – I just think other than, you know, a, a few guys getting some rest and a few guys maybe switching back to their more normal positions and, and a couple new guys coming in, uh, I, I just don't see it being a huge difference for Oregon right now. You mentioned Sonny Dykes, and you talk about a dramatic change over the last three years. I'll tell you who's having fun this year is Troy Dye. Uh, I was able to talk to him the other day after uh, he came out after a weightlifting session, and I kind of reminded him about that Cal game with you know Justin crying and, and yeah. Morgan had given up so many points, lost in, in I think it was, was it double overtime? Yeah, 51-48 in double overtime. Yeah, and now this year uh, they have a – a streak where they haven't allowed a touchdown in three games, which is matches the last time they did that was 1933. And, and, you know, he said he was aware of that stat and in a million years, he would have never guessed that. Um, and he reminds the other guys that were on that 2016 defense that are still here, just how far they've come and just to, to soak this up. But uh, it's amazing. Those seniors that were on that defense, I believe was ranked 126th in points allowed and yards allowed that year. Only two teams and I think Cal was one of them were mm. worse in Texas Tech. Uh, now they're seventh right now in points allowed, tenth in yards allowed. Now it's a small sample size. The meat of their schedule is coming up, but uh, wild turnaround over multiple defensive coordinators there. Yeah, and you can quibble a little bit over, you know, I mean, this points, you know, the last three games and no touchdowns have been Montana and Nevada and and Stanford, not exactly offensive juggernauts, but I think people might also think that Brady Hoke's defense a couple years ago might have given up about 21 or 28 to those teams at least. So comparatively speaking, it has been a, a big difference. And I just think it's, you know, I mean, there were times back there where you just felt like guys were playing out of position or guys weren't ready or, um, you know, and it just feels now like Oregon's kind of got a defense where everybody's kind of been, you know, they're not, not relying on a ton of, you know, redshirt freshman and, and you know some of those guys are playing but you know the base year defense Javon Holland who's you know it's his second year in there and Troy Dye like you mentioned and Lamar Winston have been there for a couple of years you know Jordan Scott and yeah they're rotating a Thibodeau and Isaac Slade's uh you know a first time full-time starter but they got a lot of guys that have kind of been through the defense obviously it's impressive because there hasn't really been any sort of an adjustment period to Andy Avalos's defense but I do think it's the fact they got a lot of guys that are just kind of settled in spots that they've been in in the past, whether they played a whole lot or not. And the same thing in the Cal side. You know, we've talked about it before, but they were – Sonny Dykes was spread, Jared Goff, outscore people. Now they have a really good defense as well. So, 
you know, three years later, instead of a shootout, I, I don't think we're going to get any pack 12 after dark stuff. This is, like you said, I think it's going to be like 24-17 or something like that. That might even be generous with the scoring. So uh, it should be an interesting game, especially if you like defense. Uh, let's go ahead and take our first break. Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. All right, Steve, let's get into the mailbag. I was uh, just going through Twitter and also uh, phone messages and and dug out five that we can go over here. And these are not celebrity. These are real. (laughs) These are the legitimate ones. We've gotten through the celebrity era and into the real question part. Yeah, I mean – that's the challenge. If you like the celebrity thing, that's fine. But if you if you really want your own question answered, fire at us because, you know, we do two of these podcasts a week and we need this content. So uh, let's go. First one from Twitter from at Super Set Greg. And this is in regards to uh, the running game, which we've written about extensively the last two weeks. How can our run game get better with the same running backs? <laughs> well... I do think that um, I think what he probably is saying is Darian Felix and Sean Dollar is the two guys who've had kind of the most explosive player uh, in pretty limited action. Obviously, we haven't seen a lot of dollars and, and Felix has been in there a little bit. But I, I do think that I can understand if there's a fan who's out there saying, let's let's go with one of these other guys because, you know, Verdell had what, 24 carries last week and, and Dyes had the bulk of it there. It is the same two guys. I would caution it's the same two guys that combined for, you know, 1900 yards last year and, um, you know, that's that was their freshman year as freshmen and then sophomores I think you you feel pretty good with the two guys who've done it before but yeah I mean if this ends up being another game where you know Oregon rushes for 62 yards or something and it relies on die and Verdell or if those guys are struggling early I do think you could see a, a Felix would be the first guy off the bench you'd think but I could even see a situation where Sean Dollars if you know the running game's just struggling bring him in for a series and see what he can do but uh, in terms of kind of benching the the top two I, I don't see that happening and at least at this point in the season like just like I say based on kind of they're the veterans in that group and the guys who've done it before I, I you have to put some of this on the offensive line I mean these guys get so much praise for an offensive line usually offensive lines are ignored but these guys people know their names they've been around forever they've started four years Panay Sewell was just named the uh, Outland Trophy Offensive Lineman of the Month, their left tackle. I mean, these guys need to open up some bigger holes and uh, and balance this offense a little bit. Okay, our next question comes from at HeckYes722, and this is in regard to that uh, wild Oregon State-Oregon recruiting saga that's played out mm-hmm. uh, with Devin Williams. And it's a simple question. So Devin Williams is eligible to play in 2020, correct? Correct. He, uh, with the new redshirt rule, he played one game at USC. And uh, so that got him to remain once he transferred. He was able to redshirt this year. The other key was that he went to a school that was uh, not in t- session yet. So he was able to enroll in class and enrolled this week. There were people, apparently, even in Corvallis, who thought he had maybe attended a class last week in, in Corvallis, but obviously didn't. Uh, but was uh, in you know, Oregon, started on Tuesday and went to school and went to classes there. So. 
There's no uh, hardship appeal you could do to get him this year because he's obviously already played another school. But, yeah, the fact that he got out after one game allows him to redshirt the season. And the fact he enrolled at Oregon, you know, at the start of classes means that he's eligible once the next season starts rather than being a mid-year type guy who, you know, if he comes in, in, in you know, after the year and enrolls in winter term, then you're ineligible for the season. Yeah, and if you think Mario Cristobal and the staff just took this guy just to, to mess with Oregon State because Oregon State finally has something nice and Oregon's not allowed to let them have anything nice. No, this is a guy that was verbally committed to Oregon uh, throughout that recruiting cycle and then at the last minute jumped to USC. So obviously he probably should have went with his gut instinct and, and stuck with Oregon. And Oregon probably had to maneuver a scholarship here or there, Adam Stack. Uh, left recently. Who else left? JJ Tucker, the receiver, yeah, is, is might is, be in the portal now. Yeah. So it was just timing. Um, you know, Mario talked about Devin the other day, and then uh, we were kind of, you know, Mario passed us on his way out of the press conference, and he gave the old fist pump. <laughs> Devin <laughs> Williams, he's pumped about this guy. You know, yeah, and especially when you look at, I mean, the receiver's been good this year, but I think with Johnny Wilson, who's probably the highest rated receiver recruit, to, you know, in terms of being a big guy, six four guy to come in, and now Williams is six four. I mean, suddenly you had two six four guys, one who's, you know, what twenty twenty one years old, and the other guy who's pretty physically uh, adapted to what looks like will be college life. So you're going to have. You know, the bulk of this year's, I mean, you'll have some seniors like Johnson and Red, but, you know, in this year we, we thought that we'd see, you know, Pittman make an instant impact, but obviously, uh, you know, the injury's kind of limited in that. Delgado's been kind of brought along slowly. I think you look at, and I mean, obviously Juwan Johnson would have been brought in quicker, but I think you look at these two guys as guys who probably, Williams in particular, competes for a starting spot at the opening of next year, and I think they think Johnny Wilson's probably right there too. So suddenly, and with Chris Hudson too as the other guy, you got three real impact guys coming in, and you really only lose Schooler and Juwan Johnson out of that group. This next question comes from a random caller. I was in the office and received this phone call earlier in the week. I did not write this person's name down. And based on the age that they sounded, I'm guessing they don't listen to podcasts, but I hope they do. Um, Maybe it's your grandfather. Maybe this sounds familiar. But a guy called in. He had met Justin Johnson, the big 374-pound offensive lineman out in the community. Uh, got to know him a little bit and called and wanted to know where, what's going on with Justin Johnson. Why don't I ever see him playing or even you know dressed out? Uh, a couple of days later, we found out from Mario that Justin Johnson, due to a variety of injuries, is going to medically uh, retire from football. Still on scholarship, you know, still a part of the team, and you know, still a, a, a he helped um, recruit that recruiting class and got other guys involved so it's just too bad we never saw him uh play because he's a physical freak really but medically retired on on justin yeah every visual that i have of him is in street clothes i mean i go back to when i remember it was willie's year and uh johnson came and visited practice a couple times and people like well there's justin johnson when you looked at me like holy cow that dude is gigantic and then unfortunately for him all throughout last year his redshirt year it just felt like he was sitting out and we weren't into practices that much for that long but it felt like he was always either you know going through conditioning or just completely not in uniform for practice and same thing through this year so I just don't I, I, I'm not sure how many times he even took a field for practice it just felt like there was always something there and whether or not it was multiple things or just one clearly uh, you know in the middle of year two they decided that something was there that he wasn't able to get you know he wouldn't be able to take another year off and come back from and 
I think he tweeted out he's going in the journalism school and he's going to finish that up. So yeah, he'll move on to that. But yeah, I just remember, like I say, the the size that he came in at. I know he was a three star, not maybe kind of one of the the main ones they got, but he was a kid from Philly, which wasn't a place Oregon's got a lot of people. And I just remember, like I say, the the size of him that day when they were running, when Taggart was running practice, and he was just there as a visitor. You thought, wow, this guy can block up a side of the field, but it never really did happen, unfortunately for him. Yeah, if you're looking at things to pay attention to during spring practice, um, which is usually not a fun time of the year, but yeah. in spring football, it will be interesting to see who the next generation of linemen are that replace these starters because they've recruited well there. They've been developing behind the scenes. Unfortunately, Justin Johnson won't be one of them, but there's a lot of big bodies waiting in the wings. So that will be interesting to see who lines up at on the offensive line next year our next question from twitter at kyle mcgowan 09 uh, another receiver question could Juwan johnson just get a medical red shirt and come back next year well mario was asked that actually this week and he said and while he technically i mean he could if he didn't play but he'd have to appeal for it because it would be a sixth year and it feels like you know i mean if he's all year unless something that came out and said you know this thing is you know i mean this thing is just not going to if he continues to be week to week or day to day you're gonna have a hard time proving this was an injury that incapacitated him for the rest of the year and you know i would think of a guy like juan johnson's i don't think he wants to stick around another year of college he's redshirted at penn state so i mean this is year five for him one year at a new place um it would be a risk to sit it out because again you have to go through the waiver process after not before you can go through and then they come back and say well we think that soft tissue injury you had wasn't enough to keep you out you could have come back and played so there's a possible you don't get it um and I and I know that Mario said that he had not discussed it. all the conversations have been with coming back this year. So um, if they ended up in a scenario where even if he did come back and play, maybe it got worse or some other injury occurred that was season ending. Yeah, he'd have the ability to go through the appeal process, but nothing's guaranteed because he's already had five years. I'm guessing this is frustrating for him that he wanted to play with Justin Herbert, elevate his stock, yeah. you know, play for a, a contender. Um, and my guess is if he can get this thing healed, even if it's for the Civil War and, you know, a, a major bowl game, that he would go ahead and play in those and just move on. Because I think once he's healthy, uh, even though he has missed all these games, I think he's the kind of guy that could impress people at, at a combine with yeah, his physical certainly. stature. So uh, I think this is it for him. Hopefully we'll see him at some point. And finally, you know, the, the big topic – uh, in sports is this California law where they're going to allow uh, name and image and likeness student-athletes in California in 2023 will be able to to seek uh, monetary value for those things without punishment from the NCAA. Um, a lot to play out in that. I don't think we know exactly what that's going to look like yet. But uh, I, I posted on Twitter a quote from Sabrina Ionescu who basically said, um, you know, I play in Oregon, so it doesn't really affect me. Plus, I'm going to be long gone. But if it helps student-athletes, she's all for it. And someone responded to that, Miss um, Butler 1010. So when they get taxed, and they will, is it just on the money for their likeness, or will states and the IRS claim that the money they get for school also be taxed? Apparently thought she was talking to an insurance advisor <laughs> instead of a sports writer, but – uh, yeah, I mean, that's just another example of how many questions are coming out of the thing, which is probably the reason why California set it up for 2023 was figuring that it's going to take a little while to get through all the logistics of it. Um, I think, quite frankly, I think by the time we get to that, the NC2A has already probably made some. I don't think it's going to copycat the California legislation, but 
I think they'll do some sort of name and likeness to where it'll be close enough to where that there won't be kind of the inherited advantages that people are worried about now for California to where the California schools will be banned from the NC2A competitions and stuff. So, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, don't ask me about taxes. I have a hard enough time doing my own. I'm not going to be able to figure out what these athletes are, but uh, I think it is just another example of how many questions are out there and how it's really at this point, probably even premature to try to guess what the landscape's going to look like because it is so far off at this point. Yeah, what I think, why I think this could work is because the name, image, and likeness, Oregon, like say they pass it, Oregon isn't going to pay a Sabrina Ionescu money. You know, she might get money from doing a camp with Bev Smith or something like that, but Oregon isn't going to be funding this. The NCAA isn't going to be funding this. Outside entities are going to be funding this. So it's like a job. So, yeah, if Nike were to create a shoe for her and pay her for that, she's going to get taxed on that. I don't think she would get taxed on her normal uh, scholarship that she's earned as an, uh, as an elite Division One basketball player. But, again, I, I'm not a, in the tax business either. I just... <laughs> play one on podcasts uh let's go ahead and take our final break and then we'll do one last look at oregon cal hi ryan thorburn here sports reporter at the register guard i've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years marcus mariota being presented the heisman trophy in new york oregon blowing defending national champion florida state off the field in the rose bowl sabrina ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the ducks from pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse no other media company covers oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at ducksports.com but in order for the register guard to continue its rich history of local journalism we need your support please subscribe and supporter advertisers to help us chronicle the ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come all right steve what is your official prediction for this game and is there anything else you're looking forward to this weekend in the pac-12 um i'll say oregon keeps its streak alive of not allowing touchdowns in like a 20 to 6 win but like i say if i were a gambler and I only play those on podcasts. I'm not one of those in real life either. I would uh, I would definitely tell you to take the under, and I'd probably think that this, like I say, the 16-17 seems like a lot for Oregon in that one. So um, elsewhere around, it's a small way. I think there's only four games. I think there's four buys, so there's only yeah. like four total games. I think the – uh, you know, the Colorado game's interesting. Colorado, Arizona, who were picked fifth and sixth in the division are now playing for first place. And the winner, that's the last unbeaten in the in that division. And uh, on the opposite end, you've got UCLA, Oregon State for what may decide the uh, the crummy team of the year in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think the Rose Bowl holds, what, 100,000? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what's the crowd going to be for Oregon State, UCLA there? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at probably 30,000, 28,000. I, I just can't imagine anybody – at UCLA, wasn't there probably a Dodger game at home right around right, that day? Yeah, yeah so I, I'd i like to see Colorado beat Arizona in Boulder just to, to make that Friday night lights situation at Autzen the next week even bigger. Uh, Cal didn't come through last Friday mm-hmm. and make this a top 15, so let's I think Colorado will be solidly ranked with a win over Arizona State because they'd be 4-1. Yeah, um, with that lots of Air Force that they should be, they should be on the verge of coming in at five and one if you know somehow they beat Colorado State, and Nevada, or Nebraska, and then drop one to Air Force. Yeah, the uh, the Oregon research team will be, uh, you know, diving even deeper into the records if Oregon does not allow a touchdown. Yeah, like I mentioned, nineteen thirty three. Uh, 
you know, that's 86 years ago. They had three straight shutouts. And uh, originally after the Stanford game, the Oregon stat was that it was 1935. And then someone online found a, a, an old register guard really? that showed that in 1935 that uh, I think Washington had six points. So I think Oregon kind of assumed that they kicked two field goals, but mm-hmm. there was a, a missed extra point there. So they actually did score a touchdown. So then it went even further back to 1933. So, Well, if you ever uh, doubted the importance of the register guard, Oregon's current defense yes. just gained two more years of – of uh, of legendary status from from an old newspaper, so props to that. So yeah, I will be uh, in the corner of the register guard. We have all our archives piled up right now in an empty corner. I'll be looking for uh, the first last time they didn't allow a touchdown in four straight games. If they do it this week, and uh, I tend to agree with you. I don't think I think Cal maybe will get a garbage time touchdown. I mean, Monster has some talent, or maybe they get a defensive score. But I will say. That Oregon wins this game. I'm going to go 24 to 13. All right. So you've got the under and the uh, Cal plus 17 too. Yeah. So let's let's get those running games going. Let's get this. Uh, you know. Let's get these defenses going. Let's get out of there at a decent hour. Uh, love the five o'clock kickoff on Fox. So make sure that you check out Duck Sports. Dot com for all of our coverage leading into and out of that game. And thanks for tuning in.